Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. Call me Spider-Man! I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I'm Spider-Man. I want him strung up by his web! Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I want Spider-Man! Hello and welcome to the Spider-Man Book Club. This podcast is dedicated to... Uh, everyone's favorite wall-crawling menace and his spectacular corner of the Marvel Universe. I am your host, J.J. Haunches, and today I am joined by Dill Spears from the Idiotville podcast. Dill, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, J.J. Hopefully it works this time. Yeah, we did have some technical issues last time, but it's okay because um, we all like talking Spider-Man, so right? <laughs> um, no big deal there. So we are talking uh, today uh, Revenge of the Sinister Six uh, by Eric Larson. Uh, we'll get into all that, though. Uh, a couple questions we're going to start off with here. Um, first and foremost, uh, when were you bitten by the radioactive spider? Well, my first, well, my first experience with Spider-Man was... Um, was Marvel Tales, I want to say it was like 140, like 142, it came out in 1981, mm-hmm. I was four years old, my brother bought it, it reprinted, I think it was Amazing Spider-Man number eight, where he had, it was a, like a two-story issue, they had a, uh, like a uh, 10 or 11 page main story where it was Spider-Man versus the living brain, and it was just yeah. this very early 60s robot and then the second half, or and the second half was uh, Spider-Man uh, goes to a party that the Human Torch's girlfriend is having on <laughs> on Long Island, and and they have a little fight. Um, and that that kind of got me into Spider-Man. It was the only Spider-Man comic I read for years and years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends and. You know, the, the uh, Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk hour of cartoons when I was a kid. It oh, yeah. introduced me to a lot of folks in the Marvel Universe. And then um, my first issue of Amazing Spider-Man that I remember vividly buying was Amazing Spider-Man 257, which was right in the middle of the alien, the original alien costume saga, which wound up becoming the, the symbiote later on. Right, right. But it was uh, the... I want to say it was the Hobgoblin or the Rose, probably the Rose, had hired Puma uh-huh. <laughs> to uh, to kill Spider-Man. And uh, he attacked him, and a battle ensued, and Black Cat got involved, and um, Spider-Man got away, and Puma didn't kill him. And Puma was just the lamest. Oh, <laughs> he was so lame. I, I have vague, vague memories of Puma from uh, from various comics over the years. Uh, mostly from the 90s, I think, or the 80s, maybe? He was definitely an 80s character. Like, he was in Spider-Man a little bit, and then he showed up in... Uh... Oh, I th- he showed up in Secret Wars 2 for a little bit. Like, yeah. he was imbued with the power to kill the Beyonder. Okay. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, but he was... He was not a great character, to say the least. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't have much memory, but I, I do have enough memory to say that the 
is a lame enough character that I don't care, you know. <laughs> um, right? So, uh, not not so interested on my end, but um, uh, so um, do you have a favorite uh, other than Spider-Man himself favorite character? You know, whether it's hero, villain, you know, supporting cast, whatever, whatever. Sure, my favorite superheroes have always been the Fantastic Four. Uh huh. Um, I, I lived and breathed the Fantastic Four from the first time I ever saw them. When I was about seven, my brother got, uh, first comic I ever remember him buying was Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number four, mm-hmm. where all the heroes are, are, they, they just lost this massive battle mm-hmm. to the, uh, the collected villains and then Molecule Man dropped a mountain on them. <laughs> as one does yes and uh you know the hulk managed to to brace all of this this rock while iron man and you know reed richard souped up iron man's armor and they used the human torch and uh captain marvel aka photon yeah, to yeah. uh to blast a hole out so um, that and, and and the Fantastic Four being in that really got me into Fantastic Four, and then yeah. um, years later, probably I don't know, probably eighty eight or eighty nine, uh, my brother brought home a trade paperback, which was the Trial of Galactus, which was a collection of uh, with some reshuffled pages and some some other stuff by John Byrne from his early years on the Fantastic Four. So I kind of yeah. set out and bought. Every issue that Byrne did of uh, Fantastic Four, and I still have them all. Nice. <laughs> 232 to 293, and then I have, um, right now I'm working on completing as much as I can of Fantastic Four Volume 1. And there's a lot of Spider-Man crossover in there, too, which is cool. There, I That's always one of my, my favorite things about those early books um, was, uh, you know, and, and this one is a, is a good example of it as well, where, um, you know, Stanley wasn't afraid to just throw them in there and because he was writing all the characters all at once you know he could throw them in and and then in the, if spider-man is visiting the fantastic four then in a fantastic four comic you know you'd see uh spider you'd, you'd see spider-man you know um so th- there was the crossover was a lot easier back then being that it was all stan lee doing it pretty much right and stan did a lot of the uh, a lot of that stuff and then when he kind of turned some of the writing chores over to Roy Thomas Roy Thomas did the same thing yeah yeah um and, and you'll see some of that stuff and it really like the whole shared universe thing mm-hmm. that Marvel did was excellent and sometimes it, it might have even gotten a little confusing mm-hmm. because like you'll see things like an early issue of the Transformers comic yeah had <laughs> Spider-Man in it, the, oh. the black costume Spider-Man, where he fought. <laughs> you know, he worked with like Gears, and they fought Megatron, and then it was like, <laughs> really? And and then nothing was ever ever said about it again. And they they just said, you know, retroactively, no. Spider-Man or the Transformers are not in the Marvel universe, so right. you know that's just kind of a one-off story. It's like Cerebus showing up in Spawn. It just you know sometimes universes cross yeah so it's you know because there's there was in the in the 90s there were a lot of like dc and marvel crossovers um and there was also a uh, 
I, re- I read a, a Batman Spawn crossover comic. It was actually that, one of the worst things I've ever read. I was just going to say that was probably the worst comic I have ever read. And it was, well, not the worst. No, the worst would be the uh, the self-penned Nash comic book by pro wrestler Kevin Nash. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, it, that is monumentally bad. Oh, yeah. Like, it's <laughs> it's... It's not even so bad that it's good. That yeah. might be the only comic book that I've ever thrown away. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was that bad. Uh, next question is, uh, throughout all of Spider-Man lore, movies, comics, uh, video games, mo- I said movies already. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. There's been, uh, there's been what, nine of them? <laughs> um, do you have a favorite Spider-Man costume? Uh, you know what? Classic uh, red and blue. Yeah. Or, or I guess as it was originally meant to be red and black. Yeah, I I I heard about that, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, and even the way I thought that Larson uh, in this book uh, colored Spider Man, he looked a little like, like kind of like how Batman the main series looked, you know, like black with like shades of blue, like it was a lighting effect mm-hmm. or something, right? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing that they did with uh, with Cyclops. Yeah, in X Men, like yep. those uniforms were meant to be black. Yeah, and they had just kind of blue to show where the wrinkles and the highlights were and mm-hmm. it kind of kind of morphed into these uniforms are blue right, and right. It, it's not it i think it blue is cheaper to print probably and uh and that you know the same thing happened with the hulk yeah yeah like he was, the hulk was originally gray and nobody told the printers so they made him green right right so and i i think stories like that are really interesting and 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 it's funny to me how the, the you know writers of the years have tried to find a reason to retcon it or not maybe not retcon it but like why did Hulk go from you know gray to green it's like well a printing issue is silly let's let's right. say oh no he evolved into green or whatever you know <laughs> yeah well it was it was originally he would only turn at night uh-huh. and then when it started being more that he was getting angry mm-hmm. and he would turn into the the, the green Hulk then, yeah you know it kind of kind of morphed into that and then, right right um and then suddenly he was the gray hulk again for a while in the 80s and mr fix it <laughs> yeah those are some bad comics <laughs> i've never i've never read the mr fix it when i was a kid i had like the the incredible hulk uh, ultimate visual diction- dictionary yeah um and i remember reading about it and going like this is weird <laughs> like, yeah it was it was very strange and it was after um it was after Peter David took over, and he just wanted to change the status quo on the Hulk, so they did. Uh-huh. Um, and and they, he had a like a ten year run on Incredible Hulk. He wrote that forever. Oh wow! Um, and there was there was some good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was some of Todd McFarlane's first Marvel work, and it really like his Hulk was so graphically different mm-hmm. than everybody else's that it was it was a huge hit. Wow! And uh, that's where Dale Keown got his start oh yeah, you know, yeah. he uh he did uh, a couple of years worth on the hulk that was really really good as well nice nice um so let's uh let's jump into the story we're talking about today revenge of the sinister six uh cover dated from um january 1992 to june 1992 uh written penciled and inked by eric larson colored by joe rosas and Gregory Wright, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos and Rick Parker. Chris, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. No, that's right. Oh, good. Yeah, Eliopoulos. Eliopoulos. I, I, sometimes I get it right. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, this this was uh, I gotta say just an action packed uh, just blast to read. Wall to wall, it reads like Eric Larson was about to leave Marvel and launch his own creator owned comic that was just wall to wall action. Like yeah. this is just everything in it yep. is is incredible. The art, Eric Larson is by far my favorite Spider-Man artist. Really? Yes, by far. Um, a lot of people will say, oh, it's McFarlane or it's Mark Bagley or whomever, but, or Ditko. I, I'll take some Ditko, believe oh, me. Sure. Um, I'll yeah. take some Ditko. I'll take some, some John Romita Sr. But for me, Eric Larson is just, he captures the essence of Ditko Mm-hmm. while providing the energy of McFarlane. Yeah. And I think I just think his composition is better than McFarlane's. Uh and and, and I'm I'm not trying to bag on Todd McFarlane. I've had kind of an epiphany about him lately. <laughs> um because I, I watched some some stories, some some uh documentaries about Image Comics. Yeah. And how he he put it together. Okay. And how he just, you know, he basically just pinched all of Marvel's great artists. Yeah. But his logic behind it was great. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've come around on him as a person, not so much as a writer, but sure. Larson, honestly, he, the comics that he wrote, especially this story, mm-hmm. uh, is, it's one of my, not only one of my favorite, it's not only my favorite Spider-Man story, but it's one of my favorite comic stories ever. Wow. Because it's so action-packed. Yeah. It, it's it's so much fun to read because it's you know you get the you get the heavy hitters with the sinister six and you get so much more in there you know and, and I love that Spider-Man even has a joke where he's like you know this is almost a new Fantastic Four reunion we're just missing Wolverine right and and that that, that made me laugh because it was like I was like oh yeah like it, I, they just revamped that I think in the in the recent comics yeah I keep trying to get to books galore to buy some copies of it and i just keep spectacularly not being able to do it and that you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna do what i always do when i wait for the trade yeah it it's i mean it's a a space saver and uh but it's also an easier read than holding six comics or whatever in a bag or something it's it's much more portable yeah yeah there's a better term um, that's why we have dill here because he's uh <laughs> it's possible i've been reading comics for almost 40 years i don't know <laughs> Um, so, you know, let me, well, let me ask you, you know, what, uh, what about this story other, you know, is it just like the action that draws you to it? Or is there something else that really like, you know, like jumps out at you? If you look at the way Larson composed a page, Mm -hmm. he did full bleed on all of his art. There's no gutters. Except there's a few pages I believe where there might be some gutters. Yeah, but I think he went. Uh, he used a lot of uh, a lot of bleed to the gutters, but also, you know, or, or full bleed. And he would also put in gutters, and he would have pages with gutters mm-hmm. that also had like full bleed to the edges. So his his images just leap off the page. Like if you look at the second page of chapter three where nova is there yeah kid yeah. nova or whatever he was yeah like it's basically he finds spider-man unconscious on a rooftop all beat up yeah and he's he he has to leave and the last frame is him is full bleed and he's like overlapping the borders like this was not something that marvel did right yeah there there was not a lot of uh 
foreshortened. There was not a, a lot of perspective shots from Marvel artists. It was a lot of we're going to do a four-page grid or a, or a four-panel grid or a six-panel grid. Right. Larson wasn't afraid to mix it up, and he he just it just leaps off the page at you everything yeah. and he he originally i guess meant for this to be a five parter yeah but then in i think it was 90 let's see end of 91 mm-hmm. there were fires in the hills in oakland and that's where he lived like forest or wildfires and his whole house burned out oh he wow. lost everything he owned including the pages he had done for spider-man so he had to redraw them from memory mm-hmm. and then they had to split it up yes. and so the originals of these actually had backup stories like um it was like i think it was parts three and four were originally just supposed to be part three or you know four and five were only supposed to be part four and then the last part was supposed to be part five but yeah they had to they had to do some some fancy maneuvering with it. Fortunately, they caught it in time, right, right, so that it didn't just get delayed, right, right. But um, it was Larson's storytelling. Like this got me hooked on him, mm-hmm. and then um, like the way he draws Venom, yeah, the way he draws the Hulk, the way he draws the Thing. Mm-hmm. If he could have been. The regular artist for Fantastic Four after Walt Simonson left in 1991, I would have been the happiest person alive because A, Paul Ryan is really boring, and B, <laughs> no one has ever drawn the thing like Larson does. Like, I, I, seek it out. It's great. It's, okay. it's the only person I ever saw that drew it with more detail was Arthur Adams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so he, but, um, with everything with comics, it goes back to Fantastic Four for me. But yeah. like Larson's Spider-Man is just, just mind-blowingly good. I I, I love the uh, the line. It, it's like they they had to put it in there, to, almost to justify it to the readers in a sense. Like when MJ is you know fixing his suit, and he's like, and she's like, you know, he's like, don't make the eyes too small, and she's like, well, you know you look kind of ridiculous. He's like, no, I look like a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, and I thought that that was such a, such a funny line, almost, uh, you know, winking at the reader, like, oh, that's why Spider-Man's eyes are so wide, because he, uh, you know, he wants to look, and, and plus, he, and then he says, what's also easier to see out of, which, you know, of course, makes perfect sense. Yeah, the, the line is... Uh... He says, "What are you doing?" And then they then they go to another page. Like he's just waking up from being unconscious. Yeah. And he's and and then she doesn't say it. And he's like, "Really?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm making you a new Spider-Man outfit, so you won't have to wear that awful black costume again." Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's the only one you've got left that isn't mutilated. And then she's you know telling him, "Take a shower, and I'll take care of this." And he's like, "Hey, don't make the eyes too small." She's like, how do you expect anybody to take you seriously with those big old eyes? You look like Felix the Cat. Right, right. He said, okay, so I'm not a trendy, macho, shadow-dwelling butt-kicker for the 90s. I'm trying to be trying to project a different kind of image. You know, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Besides, the bigger eye holes are easier to see out of. Right. Then the big red spider goes on the back. I know, I know. But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny because McFarlane used to always put a hidden Felix the Cat somewhere in every single one of his issues oh okay so that's 
that's where that came from. You know, it's it's funny because I've listened to a couple of podcasts that were doing like the you know, talking about like the 30th anniversary of Batman Returns, and they were talking about the the, the Max Shrek cat logo mm-hmm. and how it looks like Felix the Cat. So then when I was rereading this, I just started laughing, thinking. Like, you know, I remember Felix Cat from when I was a kid, so it's it's so weird that it's like it, I'm getting all these other references to it. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you think about one thing and it comes up four times in the next two days. Yeah, and it's not yeah. and it's not even like it's coming from my phone where it's like, hey, I heard you like Felix the Cat. It's like targeted yeah. ad where it's like, oh, my God. I guarantee <laughs> you that's going to show up on, like, my Facebook feed tonight. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it'll, say, it'll say, like, uh, you know, Felix the Cat animated show on Amazon. I'll be like, no. Say I'm I'm throwing this in the trash. Yes. But then it'll just like voodoo doll appear and it's like it's on my nightstand, no. Um but yeah, you know, I I do get some uh, John Romita Jr. vibes a little bit, uh, in kind of the uh I don't wanna say for lack of a better term, like the blockiness of some of the characters, like the Hulk and such, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. Um if if you look at Romita or Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. from this time frame and before, like, the 80s when he was doing X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at this time, like, his art was really evolving. Yeah. Where he was, uh, he, you know, he, he got, he actually got his start doing Spider-Man. Like, he, yeah. he, yeah. he drew Spider-Man and his, like, he did the, the pencils over layouts by his father. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, he would move on to... Oh, gosh. He moved on to X-Men. He was on X-Men for a long time, probably three or four years on X-Men. Um, and then, like, if you look, like, he left X-Men, like, 86-ish. Okay. And by 1990, when he was on Iron Man, when they did, like, Armor's, Armor Wars 2, Oh yeah. yeah, his art had completely evolved. And then, like, if you look now, like, look at his Thor from like I don't know, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. The art's completely different. Like everything yeah. changes for him. Yeah, but it's still you can look at it and go, "That's John Romita Jr." Yeah, and I think Larson and, and Romita kind of came from the same spot. Yeah. So I, I, the thing that I think is that Romita's best anchor is Dan Green. Okay. And I think Larson's best anchor is Larson. Yeah, I, I really actually admired that, that, you know, and it, it's a tough enough schedule to just pencil a comic. Right. And he's writing, coloring, and inking. It's just, or not, not coloring, but he's, he's writing and penciling and inking. It's just like, dude, like, you know, you can take a break, man. There's other people that can <laughs> help you out here. But, you know, um, it, it looks uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and that would you go so far as to say that it looks amazing oh i don't know or spectacular <laughs> or even sensational oh you know what i i'm gonna go there yeah or maybe even web web of i don't know it's it's uh spider-man loves mary jane that's that doesn't work no. that, that, that doesn't work at all i killed the joke i'm sorry everyone <laughs> it lived a good life um but uh but yeah but i like that you know it you know, some of my favorite comics are the ones where the is, is maybe this sounds strange, but it's like the 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 writing and the art doesn't it, it just sort of meshes together. I'm just enjoying the story, and then like when I at first read, and then I'll go back and go, oh, this line is great, but this panel is also great. You know what I mean? Uh, but when it's all the same person, it's it's really like oh, like you know, you're 
you know, that's why you have such great synergy because it's all you doing it. Yeah, and and there's there's pluses and minuses to it. Sure. Um, if there there are some guys that do it, it did it and do it great. Yeah. Um, Walt Simonson had a spectacular run on Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm in the process of selling my Simonson Thor run on eBay. Hmm. I have almost a complete run, and I'm up to like 175 bucks for the set. Nice. The only really valuable issue in there is his first one when he introduced Beta Ray Bill. Okay, yeah. And it's not in great shape, unfortunately. The rest of them are like near mint. Yeah. But that one's not in great shape. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get a lot for it. So, you know, whatever. I'll sell it and I'll make money on it. But, um, you know, Simonson, John Byrne mm -hmm. did the same thing. Yep. Um. But then you look at guys like the image guys. Yeah. Like McFarlane could really tell a good story, but he couldn't write his way out of a wet paperback. Like if you read yeah. his 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 run on the adjective list Spider Man. Yeah. Or uh Rob Liefeld. Yeah. He he was good with a plot. His art was uh, I will leave his art alone. Um <laughs> he, he's gotten a lot better. He can draw feet now. <laughs> um, yeah, but his writing, like putting dialogue in people's mouths, was not great. Yeah, so it's a lot of okay. He needs a he needs somebody to act in the form of a typewriter to get out what he wants to have, so the dialogue doesn't sound ridiculous. Right. But Larson was able to capture that writer artist thing, mm -hmm. and he's been doing it. He's he's Savage Dragon has been going on for thirty years. Okay. Yeah, and it's it the first hundred or so issues of that comic, one of the best comics I've ever read. Like if you wow. lump those together, he kind of lost his way. Uh, I want to see about oh two thousand three, two thousand four. Like I, I stopped following it, but really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is this is just a, an example of how good Larson could be uh -huh. when he was just when they're just like take the gloves off, do whatever you want. Right. And he did, and it was awesome. Well, it's 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 so much fun to read because you know you you kind of don't know who's going to pop up next, and and also I think what's great about it is uh, a lot of the stories that people have been picking have been sort of the some of the sadder ones. You know, I've, I I I just did an episode about um, uh, the, you know the death of Gwen Stacy, and it's like you know it's it's a great story, but it's also just so sad. Whereas like this one is just like Peter is just nonstop like you know joke joke joke, and it's like that's that's the Spider Man I love. You know the the constant just like being a pain in the butt to everybody you know who will listen to him oh yeah and and he just he it, it, it's the perfect it's the bantering spider-man yeah that was captured it was captured a lot by uh oh gosh uh david uh Michelini. oh yeah yeah he did yep um he did spider-man for a long time and he had really good banter yep um, every once in a while, he'd use the Marvel plot machine right, right. to kind of build himself a comic. But mm -hmm. um, it, his witty stuff combined with either McFarlane or Larson for, you know, a stretch from 298 to about 350 mm -hmm. was just, it was, that was the Spider-Man that I grew up on. Yeah. yeah. So it was really good. Uh, you know, and that's something that I think with the exception maybe of Andrew Garfield, that some of the movies have been missing. It's like, we, you know, I like, I like Spider-Man to be, kind, you know, 
almost annoying, you know? Like, he's not to us, but to the other superheroes and the villains he's fighting, he's just, you know, he's just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, there, and there's, you know, one of my... You know, one of my favorite bits in this book was uh, when he first meets Deathlock, and he's like, "I thought you were in an alternate future, and in, in or whatever." And, yeah. And and Deathlock's like, "You know, I heard you were you were somewhat of a jokester, but I do not understand or something like that." And that and that made me laugh. Like, um, there's a uh, there's a bit in a, a New Avengers book from um, when Bendis was on the book, where Doctor Strange goes to the Avengers and he says. You know, I, I'm no longer the Source Supreme. You know, I need your help. You know, finding finding him, blah blah blah, and uh, you know, because and he's like the Eye of Agamotto's going to find somebody else, something like that, and uh, and somebody, you know, like Luke Cage or whoever is like, who's you know, what's the Eye of Agamotto? And Spider Man says, oh, it's the thing that holds his cape up. And Doctor Strange goes, it's one of the most powerful. That's funny. It's one of the most powerful <laughs> bits in the in the whole <laughs> universe. <laughs> you said that was Bendis. Yeah. Yeah. His, some of his stuff is just. Yeah absolutely hilarious um him and i'll tell you who else cracks me up is uh j michael straczynski yes some of his stuff yeah like i had most of his run yeah oh yeah um and there's one where they're like someone's threatened to assassinate dr doom and they had to hire somebody to protect him and they hired spider-man to do it oh that's and right then he's that's got right. some guards with him and and doom is like you know says his name you know doom and the guy's like how do you do that do what speaking all capital letters like that <laughs> silence fool like it's just it's yeah. so perfect and and the way like larson captures that energy with spider-man yeah and the line you were talking about with deathlock was yeah what the deathlock what are you doing here i thought you lived in the future in an alternate universe <laughs> and he and he said deathlock says I've been told you're quite a humorous Spider-Man, but if that was a joke, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it's it's just one of those funny things that, you know, he just throws in there, and you're like, wow. Not only did Larson have a great grasp of the characters, mm -hmm. he had great a great grasp of Marvel's continuity. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really helpful. Like, if I, I've been trying to pick comics back up, mm -hmm. I am so lost. It, it's it's tough. Yeah, um, I, I've got 20 years worth of comics to catch up on. It's 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 really tough because there's so you know the, part of the problem is that I, and it's you know I, I blame I kind of blame the movies for this. It's like they feel like every couple of years we're gonna start with a new number one. If we don't start with a new number one, then you know all the readers are gonna get lost. But the problem with that is that nine nine times out of ten, the number one that they start with pick, pretty much picks up where number fourteen you know forty left off. Yes. So you know you're not you're not doing yourself any favors here. <laughs> right. And I, like I did that with Fantastic Four. Like how in the world is Fantastic Four not in like the 700s now? No, instead yeah. they're on like 40 because they're redoing, they redid the numbering three years ago again. Right. right. There have been, I think seven or eight volumes of Fantastic Four. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's just, just stick with the original numbering. I, you know, as I don't think it's as intimidating to new Raiders as they think it is. Um, especially when uh, I, I feel like a lot of new readers are going to go find the trades at like a Barnes and Noble anyway. Right. And, and that's, that's something that I did as a kid was let me find a way to read these. I want to get back and read all of them. So I, I will a couple times a year just buy myself an omnibus edition of something I have um, or, or the, the best thing that marvel ever did was when they were reprinting everything in black and white on newsprint those 
those essential editions. They yes. stopped making those. Yep. But that's how I read the first 115 issues of Spider-Man. That's how I read the first 150 issues of Fantastic Four. Uh, same to me. Yeah, and I still have them because some of them are great. Like, I have Essential Avengers 1 to 8. Yep. I have all that stuff, and yep. it's... It's great to see in black and white, but some of their some of their stuff is not great as far as like the uh, the way that it transferred when they did it. Well, yeah, yeah, I but that was because um, I, I got the Fantastic Four. I think it was it must have been the second volume because it was before the uh, Silver Surfer movie came out. Because I was like, well, I want to know about this character, you know. And he became one of my he and Galactus became one of my favorites because I read the the coming of Galactus stuff through and. And, you know, they also had like the the wedding of Reed and Sue and all that. Mm-hmm. And I was reading through all that, going like, "This is so cool! Like, this is just fun stuff to read." And then, um, you know, but like you were saying, like they, you know, they don't really do that anymore. And once in a while, you'll get, you know, but it's also like, you know, I don't have the the time or the patience or, quite frankly, the money to do an omnibus, but. You know, but sometimes I'm trying to track down like trades and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know it's and it can be tough because I'm like, but I'm looking for like these specific issues, and they can get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Right, and I did that with uh, with Fantastic Four. I got well, I got the the Omnibus Volume Four, which is like 95 to like 125. It's got the end of the the Kirby stuff and the beginning oh, yeah. of. Uh, John Romita Jr. or John Romita Sr. became the regular artist, but I also got like the Matt Fraction. Oh, okay. Fantastic Four. Okay. I got both volumes of the the Dan Slot Fantastic Four. Yep. And and the nice thing is is those those three read sequentially, so I can read those and I'm I'm good. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you, you look back and it's it's just so much to pick up if you don't pick up those those omnibus editions like i'm gonna try to see what i can do about getting some of these spider-man omnibus editions because i am really lost on modern spider-man like did the does the world know that he's spider-man or does did that get erased and then is aunt may alive and him and mj are married or like do they live in avengers mansion i'm so confused it's uh somewhere in the middle i think at this point like and uh, and even now, you know they, you know the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man number one relaunch that just happened, you know at least as of this recording, you know a few weeks ago, and it was like you know the worst mistake of Peter Parker's life, and every and he's on the outs with everyone, and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, but like why do we always have to start these damn things in media res, you know, <laughs> like every single time, Chris Claremont was terrible with that. Oh yeah, I yep. used to. Oh, I used to hate that. Yeah, when it would, but you know, Stanley never did that. All nope. of his stories had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yep. But the thing that I always loved, especially about early Spider-Man, was you might get the end of a story in the middle of an issue where the next story picks up. Like yeah. there's no hard and fast. This story's over. Right. And he did. Stan did a lot of that. Yep. And that was that was always really good. Larson, you know he. He, this was really nice and tidy, but he knew that he was only going to have a five-issue arc that turned into a six-issue arc. Right. And I, I think with this, Larson basically just... Everything but the kitchen sink is the best way to describe Revenge of the Sinister Six. Yeah. And you can't really talk about this one without talking about Return of the Sinister Six. Okay. Which was his... 
his the first time they had brought them back since Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number One. Okay. So um, that the art isn't as good because it didn't have as free of reign with it, mm-hmm. but it's still really really good. Okay. But this one just blows that out of the water. One of the one of my favorite uh, aspects of it was uh, was just how you know it, it's how terrifying Doc Ock is in the sense that when his arms are flailing, like they're they're you, you don't know where they're going. You know, I'm looking at the page going. And, and I, because he says, oh, these are adamantium arms, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, well, I 100% believe that they, he could beat the crap out of the Hulk then, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that actually turned into a bit of a, a, a bone of contention between Eric Larson and uh, regular Hulk writer Peter David, who we talked about earlier. They, oh, yeah. They used to have these fights in the, the letters pages of the Comics Buyer's Guide. Mm-hmm. But the way that... Um, way that peter david addressed this was he had doc ock show up you know back in his back being a fat guy in a um in the green suit and the hulk knocked him out with his pinky right and it's it was just like an f you to eric larson and this is (laughs) like we're trying to establish doc ock as a new major villain and you basically just wiped your ass with it right so um, I'm sorry about the language. Oh, I you're was supposed to keep it PG-13, but yeah, you're fine. Um, as long as I don't drop any f bombs. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but the way that he wrote Doc Ock was like somebody who would overcome his his mental demons because he was crazy as a crack house rat for oh, yeah. a while, and they made him, you know, I'm a supervillain now. Like I'm not just a goofy guy who constantly gets beat by Spider-Man. You know, right. he he had these adamantium arm arms that had been built um you know years before and he just wasn't ever able to use them and then powered by an extra dimensional power source Mm -hmm. and it's and it's just the arms are everywhere it's like a pot of spaghetti yeah that's a good way to put it yeah and then you're like they're gonna beat spider-man like there's a couple times you're like he's gonna get killed yeah and then one of those one of those goofy eric larson characters that he was it it was the only one he was the only guy who ever brought him in was solo oh yeah he yeah. was like a teleporting version of the punisher right right and he just comes in and just starts shooting everyone and it's like here's the fantastic four and here's the hulk and ghost rider and deathlock and nova is here and then Sleepwalker, <laughs> who should he's he's in there for like I think three and a half panels. Yeah, he, something like that. <laughs> Sleepwalker was, you know, he got like thirty three issues. Like his regular title, solo title, was like thirty three issues long. But the the funny thing about that character is, is seeing just like that little bit with him in the book. All I could think was like, this is like a Rick and Morty joke. This is like them making fun of superheroes. Like. He can only be a superhero when he's asleep. So if you wake him up, he can't be a superhero right. anymore. <laughs> and uh, the guy who created him was actually uh, Bob Budiansky, who wound up being editor-in-chief at Marvel. Okay. And uh, his his big claim to fame, besides being Marvel editor-in-chief for a while, was uh, he wrote all of the bios for the, uh, the Generation 1 Transformers. Okay. Yeah, okay. He, they, uh, they had originally asked... Denny O'Neill to do it, and Denny O'Neill did a couple. And Jim Shooter looked at him like, "These are crap. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Buddy Hansky do it." And he <laughs> did it, and he had to like knock him out in a weekend. 
Oh, okay. So he did like 28 bios in a weekend. Like every Transformer in that first generation was over like Thanksgiving weekend, 1983. Uh-huh. And that's, that was, that's his big claim to fame now. Like he did a lot in comics, but one of his claims to fame is not Sleepwalker. <laughs> like it, 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 it's another one that's so bad it's not even worth the time. Well, that's, you know, and that was just the, the thing that made me laugh about it. It was just like, I, I never heard of the character before this this book. And and that and that moment just made me laugh where I was like, this is just, what a useless character. And even, and even Solo to an extent where I was like, this character just, why not just use the Punisher? Like, who is this guy? And, um, and you know, may, maybe there's more story there that you can tell me about with that, that Solo's cool with. But um, no, Solo was just a guy that Eric Larson used because he wasn't using the Punisher because I couldn't put the Punisher in everything. Okay, I gotcha. And it's it, it, the politics with some of that stuff is, is so strange to me. Like, you know, I had Dan Slott talked about, you know, I was listening to a podcast that he that he was on where he said the part of the reason he made Doc Ock such a huge villain in, in his run of Spider-Man was because he couldn't use Carnage or Norman Osborn because Carnage was doing some, there was some, a bunch of miniseries that were co- coming out, I think like Carnage USA or something like that. Yeah. And uh, and Norman Osborn was on the Thunderbolts, so it's like you know he so he's like well I'll, I'll use Doc Ock I guess and and that's why Doc Ock became such a great character and and other guys who were writing Spider Man they were like well who, who else can we use and he's like you use Craven because in my mind Craven's the last hunt that's the end of Craven so you can do whatever you want with Craven I'm not going to use him. <laughs> right and I think that there should be like corporate disney has has kind of said you know do what you want with the characters but always get them back to their starting point right you know like when uh when dan slot wrote she hulk yep he got her back into the law firm Mm -hmm. by the end of his run and then peter david took over and immediately had her disbarred because he hated (laughs) you know just stuff like that um but with with the way that that this is done, I'm glad they didn't include Craven in it mm-hmm. because I think the edict was down from on high that no, we're not using Craven because he gave himself a buckshot shampoo, and <laughs> we're not going to use him. He's right. dead. And then McFarlane brought back his corpse, right? In uh, in his his early run mm-hmm. when Calypso tried to raise him as a zombie, and yeah, yeah, that was that was actually the art in that is amazing. God, that story is almost unreadable. <laughs> um, I, I I've never read it, but I know the story. Like it was sort of a joke I made uh, the other episode I was I was talking about earlier. It's like I consider myself a Spider-Man historian. I know a lot of the stories, even if I haven't read them. So right. I so I knew about that. Um, and I was and I just sometimes you know and again like the you know I thought you were living in the future in an alternate universe kind of thing. It's just sort of like like oh okay like that's just a that's a thing that we can just accept as reality yeah, at this well, that, point. That's exactly what it was because the original Deathlock was from uh, 1990 <laughs> in an alternate reality. He right. fought Captain America. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I love the I love the lineup of the Sinister Six in this, too. You know, it's so it's it's not the... It's not the classic lineup. It, no, it's not the classic lineup, but, you know, but I do love me some Hobgoblin. But this is a different Hobgoblin, one that's more you know, kind of, uh, right, quote-unquote, you know, like, holy, righteous kind of 
uh, crusader for the Lord kind of thing. Yeah, he, um, the, the, the guy who wound up becoming Hobgoblin there was, um, oh, his name was Jason. Was it Jason McIndale? Uh, yes, Jason McIndale. He was uh, Jack O' Lantern. Okay, that's right. That's right. And he be to, after Ned Leeds was set up to take the fall as the Hobgoblin mm-hmm. by Roderick Kingsley, I think. Right. Yep. Um. So after that, then Jason McIndale or Masondale. I've never known how to pronounce that. I want to say it was McIndale, but I could be wrong. I'm not 100 sure either. Um. He took over as Hobgoblin. Then during Inferno, Mm -hmm. he wound up running afoul of some demons and they turned him into an actual Hobgoblin. Yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, he he was very much this, supposed to be this crusader for the Lord. Right. And he was still a villain. Like, he was killing people for God. I'm like, I feel like that doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, it's it's a little bit like, but Ghost Rider is a little bit like that too, I feel like. Uh, um, Supposed, you know, like, Sins have to be righted, you know. Looks, you know, look into my penance stare. The guilty must be punished. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, like, uh, it's just such a interesting concept to me, but not one that I feel like has a lot of legs. If that makes any sense, like, and that's why, like, I have a hard time wrapping my head around some of these characters that are like that. Mm-hmm. The supernatural ones, yeah, um, definitely. Like, there are supernatural characters, and you're like, what? Like, I, I can't read them. Yeah, like I collected Ghost Rider, the the 1990s title when it came out, mm-hmm. because it was really hot. Like it was one of those I bought this to be a collector. Sure. And then for a while they were absolutely worthless, <laughs> and now they're starting to be worth money again. Uh huh. Um, but th- this was in the era of uh really really uh very gritty 90s comics. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The Punisher, Ghost Rider, and then they brought back Johnny Blaze, and it was Spirits of Vengeance. Incidentally, I just found a mint condition copy of Spirits of Vengeance number one. Nice. Still in the poly bag, which means <laughs> it's probably not very good because yeah. nobody ever bothered to open it. <laughs> or, or they thought it was worth a lot of money. Yeah, that um, didn't happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, you know, because um, there was the, the Robbie Reyes character that – uh, ended up joining the Avengers uh, when you know Jason or Jason uh, you know Jason Aaron's still on the on the book, mm-hmm. but uh, you know and so and that was a character that showed up in Agents of Shield you know a few years ago which I thought was kind of cool, um, and you know they they I mean they spent some money on that. Incidentally, that's when I stopped watching Agents of Shield. Really? <laughs> yeah, I just I was like this is crap. Oh, that, that it was right around the Doctor Strange movie I think. Okay. The first one, and it yeah. was just I just kind of tuned it out. Okay, well that uh, I I actually really liked that arc. I did. I, that's kind of the funny thing is I stopped when they because I guess they spent so much money on the special effects for him because I thought he looked amazing that they were like, well, we we can't afford to do any any more. If we keep using him, we're gonna go bankrupt. So we're gonna have to. Yeah. So they got rid of the character. I feel like Disney could have put some money in there and it would have been. I well, I, I heard a rumor that they wanted to end with season five, and Disney told them not to. Like Disney, like made ABC renew it. Um, it would have made the most sense to end after season five, I think. I, I I'd have to go back and rewatch. Um, yeah. But I, it wasn't until the 
the shield collapse towards the end of season one that tied in with Winter Soldier that I thought the show got really good. Oh my god, like it was so awesome for the first the first two seasons were amazing and then when people started getting trapped in alternate dimensions i'm like this is not shield yeah like hydra doesn't work like that but you know i i digress they couldn't bring in baron strooker i understand sure but going back to the hobgoblin i have this cool app on my phone called um i'm sorry it's called key key collector comics okay um and basically it tracks the the hot key issues and one of the hot keys right now is the first appearance of the hobgoblin in amazing spider-man 238 oh okay uh on the highest high graded copies high graded unslabbed copies are going for like 450 bucks Mm -hmm. um somebody sold a uh 9.6 graded copy for 1200 wow a 9.8 sale uh $4,048. $4,048. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going. If you have a high-grade copy of it, um, it's it's going. And this is not the, the, the Masondale or Mackendale or whatever his name is, Hobgoblin. This is the, the Roderick Kingsley right. Hobgoblin. The, and, that, and that was what was cool about the Hobgoblin for a long time is that nobody knew who he was. Um, you know, and that took, like, several years for them to, you know, finally um, – uh, reveal his identity. Yeah, that came out um, originally in, I want to say it was 82, and uh, March of, yeah, March of 82, mm-hmm. and they didn't resolve the original saga by bumping off Ned Leeds until 1981. Like late eighty six, early eighty seven. So that was, you know, five years, and it was a big thing. Yeah, and that was all uh, all Roger Stern. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always loved Stern. Yes, Stern was great. Um, You know, and and that was some of my uh, some of my favorite Hobgoblin stuff was that original stuff. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. And but uh, the funny thing, you know, the funny thing about this book being called Revenge of the Sinister Six when. The Sandman is a part of it, kind of, but just sort of he's there because he's Doc, there because he's being blackmailed and Doc Ock turned him to glass. Yeah. Why didn't anybody ever think of that before? That that just that kind of made me laugh thinking, you know, like the first time I ever learned that if if you overheat sand, it turns to glass was yeah. from a Superman comic from like 2004. Uh, the Four Tomorrow arc, which okay. is uh, is bad. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> it's Jim Lee art, so it looks beautiful, but the story was not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, no offense to uh, the writer there. I think that was uh, Bri- uh, Brian Azzarello. It was. I was going to say, that was. I bought that first Jim Lee issue of Superman thinking it was going to be worth a fortune, and everybody else did the same thing. Yeah. No, I, 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 I read the whole thing thinking, well, this, this is going to get really good. This is, like, And then. And it, Failure to launch on that. No, it it uh, it was supposed to be like the Superman version of Hush, I guess. Yeah, because and Hush was great. Hush is great, yeah, but uh, yeah, it just that one just didn't catch fire the same way. No. Again, looks great, Jim Lee, yeah. but is just I I couldn't even tell you what happened in it. I know <laughs> some of the bits in it, but that's but that's how I first learned that. And then so when that so now and then I when I. You know, something like this, I see, you know, Sam Ag gets turned to glass, it just cracks me up. I'm just like, 
I think of that story, and I'm like, that's if I had one takeaway, you know, which I pretty much only had one takeaway from that was that if you overheat sand, it turns to glass. Yeah, but then Doc shatters him, and there's this great scene. Spoilers. Yeah. Doc Ock shatters the glass statue that was the Sandman. He didn't die. Yeah. He he, he maintained he, sentience, and then at the end of it, just. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, it's it's a really cool thing because you don't see it coming. Yeah, he's he just reforms himself as Glass Man essentially. Yeah, and, and uh, but but I did like that. Um, this was the era where the Sandman was trying to be a good guy, and I, I think for wasn't he on the Avengers for a little he bit? He was too? an Avenger for a while. Um, he was he worked for Silver Sable for a while, uh-huh. and then they just kind of casually turned him back into a villain. Yeah. Which, which is a shame because I really like, you know, towards the end of the book when Peter says, you want to be a good guy, you need to act like it. We don't kill. Yeah. And and I and I love that about about the character. And, and I love that Peter maintains that throughout. You know, it's like he's trying to stop Solo from killing everybody. And, you know, and that that to me, you know, is is what's so great about Peter Parker as, as Spider-Man. Yes, that's the essence of Spider-Man. The reason that he started fighting crime and fighting villains was because a bad guy murdered his uncle, who was right. essentially his father. Right. So his whole thing was, I have this responsibility to keep people alive, to, to do good in the world. And one of the things I won't ever put up with is someone dying. Right. And so he, um, he just it captures that perfectly with that little lecture at the end. You're like, yeah. Yeah. You know that is great. Yep. So I, I that that's another thing I love about this. Plus all the guest stars and like bringing in, uh, what is it? Gog. Is uh, that the name of the? the oh, Gog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gog, and then, um, just the 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 thing that I I, I have to say is I love that Doc Ock paid Electro to bring them all back together. Yeah. And they're like, he's like, what? No, no, I didn't. What are you kidding? And he's like, you know, but then as the story goes on, yes, that's what he did. But Doc Ock is giving them a ton of money. So it's, you yeah. know, and power and all that. So, he, you know, it's it's interesting where, you know, when they were making the first two Amazing Spider-Man movies, they, they wanted after Amazing Spider-Man 2, they wanted the next movie to be a Sinister Six movie, but just the Sinister Six. And, and I, and... And I remember thinking, like, no, that's not interesting. Like, they're interesting when they're fighting Spider-Man. Like, Villains can't be protagonists it's, in comic book movies. Yeah, it just it the just doesn't. I, I don't know that that didn't. We couldn't have had an Ultron movie or yeah. a Thanos movie. Although I think a Thanos movie, depending on who wrote it, could probably be, probably be somewhat entertaining. Right, but uh, it, you know, it works in some comics that. You get these characters together and, you know, having like a mini series or something. But there's a reason that like villains can't, you know, maintain a like, you know, because there's a Carnage series going on now. But it's, it's probably going to end at 15, 20, 25. You know, it's. Yeah, I, I have never liked the concept of Carnage. Really? I just it's just one of those things with me. I love Venom. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there needs to be eight million symbiotes because that makes the original less interesting it makes him yep. less unique yep um because by definition something can only be unique it can't be like more or less but right. i digress uh 
Well, I also maintain that the, you know, I, so I was a fan of the, the Joker movie, and I thought that that worked, but I did not think the Ven- that Venom worked without Spider-Man, you know, partially because the Joker movie could play with the whole unreliable narrator thing, whereas Venom, it's like, oh no, this is Venom, and he's becoming the symbiote, and I was just like, yeah, but we're missing something there. Venom's you know? whole reason for being, are you doing the the saga of the alien costume you asked for it so that's going to be your next one actually. okay good yeah i have to reread that and i'm going to reread let me let me can we give can we give your listeners some homework absolutely you need to find marvel superheroes secret wars not the one from 2015 mm-hmm. you need to read the original yep. from 1984 mm-hmm. okay get that there's it's everywhere it's on marvel unlimited yep and then amazing spider-man 252 to 259 mm-hmm. is the alien costume. Yep. So the alien costume debuted in uh or in uh Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number 8. Yep. In continuity. Mm-hmm. In publication it actually debuted in Okay, good. Yeah, I uh, Marvel team up 142 and Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 252. Okay. And then whatever issue of Spectacular Spider-Man was out at the time. like, But it was like Marvel Team-Up came out first. So that's actually the first appearance of it. Okay. But everybody says that it's Amazing 252. Okay. But nobody wants Marvel Team-Up because Marvel Team-Up was dumb. <laughs> but Well, it wasn't dumb, but it just it had lived its life. But the whole thing with Venom was he existed because of this symbiotic relationship between Eddie Brock and the the suit mm-hmm. because they both hated Peter Parker. Yeah. So not having Peter Parker as an object of Eddie Brock's rage mm-hmm. which drew the symbiote to him yep. when he became Venom like that is like that's the the crux of the character. It's like Wolverine not being the best at what he does. Right. Or I don't know, Mr. Fantastic being the smartest guy right. in the multiverse. So it, it, it's take away uh, Superman being able to fly and be completely invulnerable, and that's what they did to Venom. It's, you know, and and that's when I thought that Spider-Man 3 misstepped. Uh, Sorry, I realized what it is. It's okay. none of those things. Okay. Right Batman, but his parents didn't get killed. There we go. <laughs> That's Batman's motivation. Eddie Brock's motivation is his hatred for Spider-Man, yeah. Peter Parker. Well, the, that's that's what bummed me out about the uh, Spider-Man 3 is that I was really hoping it was going to be a two-part thing because here's an idea where you can have part, you know, a Spider-Man 4 could have been Spider-Man or Peter Parker literally having to fight his demons. And they didn't do that. No. Because Sam Raimi didn't like the character, and Avi Rod made him put him in the movie. Yeah, I, and Spider-Man's rogues gallery, I think, works really well in comics. Yeah. Some of them work really well in movies. Yeah. Some of them don't. I don't think that Venom worked particularly well in the movie. No. Because you don't have that massive backstory. Like, if they had introduced Eddie Brock in Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, when he's working for 
the Daily Bugle and kind of had him interspersed in there yeah. the entire time and then turned him into a villain in the third one. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Right. But instead, they just kind of threw him in there. Yeah. And but uh, and, that, and that was and it's such a shame because it's like, you know, if you talk to almost any Spider-Man fan, I guess, with the exception of Sam Raimi, they'll tell you that one of their if, if their favorite villain isn't Venom, he's in their top five. You know. Yeah. Um, can we do top five? Can we each do a top five favorite Spider-Man villains? Sure. All right. Um, for me, backwards from five. Uh-huh. Um, Electro. Uh-huh. Rhino. Uh-huh. The original Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Venom. Hobgoblin. Okay. I left Doc off. Doc Ock off the list. He is not one of my favorite villains. He's like six, but he's not top five for me. He's he's become that way because of Dan Slott for me. Okay. So I so I'd probably put him at number five. Mm-hmm. So that would be Doc Ock, and then I'd say uh, Electro, and then Mysterio. If done well, Mysterio can be really great. Yeah. But, but runs around with a big fishbowl on his head. I can't get into that anyway. But but speaking of you know they don't work in movies they only work in comics or whatever i i thought about that i was like i was really glad that mysterio's story ended in far from home because that was kind of a one-trick pony they couldn't have done that a second time right in the yeah. movies so no offense to jake gyllenhaal who's amazing in the part but you know um but you all know what i mean um and then i'd go green goblin and then hobgoblin okay yeah the goblins are the goblins are awesome yeah um and the the writer kingsley hobgoblin it's so hard for me to not say Ned Leeds <laughs> as the Hobgoblin, yeah. but I, you know, because that's what I grew up with, and I always thought it was Ned Leeds. Yeah. But, yeah, the, either one of the Goblins are just great villains. And Venom is, if he's written well, is the perfect foe. Yeah. Because he's not really a villain. No. He's just, he hates Spider-Man. I, and I think that, you know, the, the idea of, like, lethal protector is such a cool concept for him mm. anyway, because it's... You know, because that's what he is. You know, he's he's a he is that darker, scarier Spider-Man versus you know, uh, but but considers Spider-Man the villain of his story, which is which is interesting. Yeah, well, and you know, everybody's the hero in their own story too. Right, so you right. can kind of see. I think the best way to write a good antagonist mm-hmm. is they have to be justified in their minds for what they're doing. Right. Um, pro wrestler Michael Hayes once said, a good heel believes that he's right. Yeah. And that, I think, is the, the best way to write a villain. Like, you have to look at it from, I am completely justified in what I'm doing. That's why Claremont wrote Magneto so well as a villain. Yeah. Uh, and and then the, the joke I made is that I wish that Brian Singer had known that there were other X-Men villains out there other than Magneto. So we didn't get, like, four or five movies with him as the villain. We are the future, Charles, not them. <laughs> but... But uh, but he was great in in those movies because he is such a compelling character because you you get where he's coming from. You yes, know? and Magneto was always one of those the ends justify the means kind of guys. Yep. Yep. So um, I I always loved that take on the character, mm-hmm. and um, like that's why I love um, the original take on the original Green Goblin was that when he unmasked, he was gonna be anybody. Yeah. He was just going to be a random guy who was a supervillain. Right. And instead, Stan Lee said, no, it's got to be Norman Osborn. It's got to be Harry's friend's father. Right. And Steve Ditko hated it. Mm-hmm. He's like, it should just be someone random. 
and that's why he left the book. Okay. Yeah, that and they weren't giving him uh, they weren't giving him the money to go plot everything. So he yeah, I heard, took a walk. I, I knew about that, and I knew you know for as great as a writer Stanley was, and how cool he was with his fans, he was kind of a yeah, he was a little bit of a money oh, it, with you know. with Stanley, um, and they screwed him in the end too. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. It, it's it, I'll say this in defense of Stanley. Everybody says there wouldn't be a Marvel universe if there was no Jack Kirby. Yeah. You know what? There wouldn't be a Marvel Universe if there wasn't Stanley. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you ever try to read anything that Kirby wrote without Stanley putting the words to it, it's awful. Yep. Like it just it it's clunky. Like Ditko did a lot of stuff on his own and his is better than Kirby's as far as readability goes. Mm-hmm. But Ditko needed Lee to rein him in as far as the story goes. Yeah. And Stanley basically put himself out there as as the face of Marvel, right? Because Kirby didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, Ditko didn't want to do it. Nobody knows what Steve Ditko looks like. No, I have never seen a picture of him. No, same. Yeah, um, and he doesn't care about comics or anything. Like, I was reading an interview with John Byrne, and he said I met Steve Ditko like twice. I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that's the, the accurate number, but I don't think he's met him very many times. But yeah. There's no pictures of Ditko anywhere, and there's there's tons of Stan Lee. There's tons of Jack Kirby. Yeah. And and you know that's why they took um, Ditko left that book, and they brought John Romita Senior in mm-hmm. because he was willing to do what Stan Lee wanted him to do, and Stan Lee was he was the writer. He was also the, I think at that point he was the editor in chief as well. Yeah, yeah. So the the old Marvel method where he they'd spitball ideas and he'd yeah. be like, okay, and then the artist would go and draw everything and then bring it back to Lee and Lee would put in the dialogue. Right, right. So it's like, did he really write it or did the other guy plot it? And I feel like you could always say that that's more of a writer co-plotters or scripter co-plotters penciler. Or yeah. something like that, and that's right, what right. like Burn and Claremont did on X Men. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and you know, and much much has been said about you know Stanley and his stuff with Marvel and everything, but uh, I mean, he ended up doing okay. You know, I mean, yeah. got got to be in almost every single Marvel movie that's been made up until 2019. He was a watcher. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's you know. That, I always thought that was cool. That was my favorite. Uh, uh, fan theory that came true, kind of thing, that he was a he, he was the same character in all those situations. Um, but, so that was fun. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that was that was really cool, and him just kind of being interspersed throughout all of the Marvel. Like he was in everything. Yeah. Until what? What was the last one he was in? Uh, Endgame. Endgame. Okay. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I think uh, it, it's funny because I one of one of my best friends said that he he started to get sick of the Stanley cameos. He's like it just takes me out of the movie and and I kind of argued I was like I it, it's I think it's supposed to. You're supposed to laugh for a second and go oh there's Stanley. Yeah. You know? You're watching the whole movie waiting for the Stanley cameo. Yeah, it's it's like the the way it was with Hitchcock back in the day. Kinda. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, did you ever see on a completely oddball tangent? Did you ever see the one where the guys are trapped on the boat? The Hitchcock movie, I can't think of what it was. No. Okay. There there is the one and Hitchcock had a cameo in all of his movies, and the way he got himself on a cameo in that was he was on a picture. He was in a picture on a magazine. 
<laughs> and that's how he got himself into it. Uh, that that reminds me of uh, Mel Brooks in Young Frankenstein. Gene, Gene Wilder said, "I don't want you in the movie," but Mel Brooks was like, you know, the the voice of the wolf that's howling in the background, you know, towards the beginning of the movie. <laughs> that's a great movie. And I fucking love that. That movie. might be my favorite Mel Brooks movie, but. Every time I watch one of Mel Brooks's movies, I'm like, oh my God, this is my favorite Mel Brooks movie. Like, you, no, no doubt yeah. that every single one of them is my favorite. I, I'm 100% with you there. Uh, History of the World Part One, you know, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, Dill, this has been such a blast. And I love getting in a, you know, and I love that I was able just to kind of sit back and you just kind of. Could uh, could go on. I, you know, I, your passion is just filling up the room here. I have a tendency to do that when I talk about comics. <laughs> um, if you get a chance to listen to uh, Idiotville, I believe it was Idiotville two hundred nine. Mm-hmm. We talked about what we nerded out. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that I nerd out about right now is comics. Yeah. Like I am just, I I love it so much, and I I actually started a blog mm-hmm. where I talk about the comics I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, no blogger.com slash the comics I love mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram at the comics I love okay um, I po- I post infrequently on Instagram I'm trying to get more into it yeah um, I write about the comics that I love and right now I'm in the middle I actually just started a new uh, a new series I'm, I'm writing about uh, John Burns Fantastic Four which I mentioned earlier because yep. I got the first omnibus mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm writing about that right now and uh you know, as always, everybody can catch me on Idiotville Podcast, wherever you get your fresh podcasts. Um, I highly recommend Idiotville uh, because, uh, not just because I was on it, uh, yeah. <laughs> but because, uh, you know, I think you guys are genuinely funny. But I also like what you're doing to, you know, talking about the our, our community here, you know. Right. It's, it's the most important thing for us is to, we want to make our city better. Yeah. Erie, Pennsylvania has gone through some dark times in the last 25 years. Yeah. And we really want our city to be better. And And the best way we can do it is for people to be entrepreneurs, to take positions of leadership. So we talk to these business people, uh, personalities, entrepreneurs, everyone. Yeah, We talk to them and uh, we, we just have an awesome time. We actually just talked to uh, Brandon Staraki who does a, uh, a local comic called Avalon. Yeah, he, uh, he's reached out to me. I haven't read his book yet. Uh, I have yeah. not yet. Um, I'm actually going to hit up. He's got a Kickstarter yeah. uh, to help pay for issue two, and you can actually do a, uh, a catch-up level yeah. to yeah. be able to get it. And uh, it's uh, I'm going to do that. I actually get paid tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and drop 15 bucks so I can get uh, the first issue and, and a uh, – a copy of issue two because he's he's great and he's got a he's got a really good thought process behind that and he's an he's an eerie guy who does comics yeah uh, so he's fun it was your uh, co-host brent who uh reached out to me about him actually yeah i i had i had mentioned it to him mm-hmm. that we should let jj know about it and then lo and behold he did yeah <laughs> so I, worked I, out well and you know he reached out to me and i i you know if you're listening to this i apologize i'm not 100 <laughs> percent caught up on a lot of stuff yet i'm even you know not even caught up on your blog that you sent me and i was like oh my gosh i gotta i got so much going on <laughs> you know who else isn't caught up on that blog you me yeah <laughs> i just dropped uh my like eighth post i've got like five drafts sitting there that i have to format and add some art to so it's uh it's a labor of love yeah for sure for sure 
Um, any final thoughts on Revenge of the Sinister Six? This is one of my absolute favorite Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of Spider-Man and you haven't read this, read it. Yeah, it's I, I, I don't know if you'll ever be able to find the trade paperback of it. Um, I think it was only printed once. Yeah, I, I have a digital copy. That's where I got mine. Yeah, definitely try to find a digital copy, whether uh, through legitimate means. Yeah. You know the torrents. No, no. Definitely go to Marvel Unlimited and give Disney more of your money. <laughs> at, or, you know, Comixology or wherever. Yep. But get it. It's well worth reading. Um, and then the next time we get together, we're going to talk about the, the saga of the alien costume. Yeah, you... you you would ask for both of those, and you said, is it okay for ask for two? I said, yeah, but we're only going to do one at a time. Yeah, no, that's fine <laughs> with me. I actually have been, now that I've been rereading stuff, I'm like, maybe there's other stuff. Like, if I, there's, like, if you want to continue this, I have a lot of Spider-Man that I'm sure people aren't going to pull out. Um, there's, you know, people, people have surprised me that, you know, I had somebody uh, recommend uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. I was like, I completely forgot that book even existed, and so I'm excited to get into that uh, yeah. in a future episode. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to Jordan. You know, you uh, you threw that out there, and I was like, okay. So we'll we'll yeah, I promise we'll get to all of them. And everybody who's listening, that I've promised we'll get to. I promise we will. Um, it's just that you know, life sometimes happens. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be more consistent with the, all of this stuff. But uh, but it's it's such a blast. You know, we yeah, sit here and we're just. You know, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's wild. Just just about not even just this book, but this, you know, the whole Marvel, whatever came to our minds about the, Marvel the history. Whole, yeah. The whole Marvel multiverse. Yep. Um, and so take that, Doctor Strange. We can also hit hit up the multiverse. And we don't have to kill Black Bolt to do it. <laughs> oh, did I spoil it? Yeah. But uh, it's yeah. been on Disney Plus for a while. Also, if you don't know by now. It's like then you obviously don't have Disney Plus and you don't like watching really disgusting murders of superheroes. You don't like fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, Idiotville uh, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, anything else you want to plug? Uh, your, uh, um, we've got a new one starting tonight. Uh, by the time you get this, it will have been out. It's uh, Idiotville Sports. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's coming out. Check out our beer segment every Saturday morning. Uh, on Facebook Live, yeah, yeah, uh, right around right around ten thirty Saturday morning. There's nothing like starting your weekend with a nice, powerful IPA. That's I, uh, I don't know a better way to start a Saturday. I honestly <laughs> started my work day like that today. <laughs> That's fair. I know my new boss isn't listening. <laughs> um, well, uh, thanks again, Dill, for uh, for being here. This was a blast. My pleasure. And uh, and uh, you know, I usually ask the guests uh, what local comic book store they go to. We talked about our eerie store, which is Books Galore. Uh, yeah, uh, Books Galore. I've been going there since uh, 1986. I was a member of Crazy John's Comic Club back when they used to do commercials back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, um, I've been going there a long, long time. And fun fact about that store is that they have a uh, they have a Spider-Man sign and they have a big Spider-Man display outside. So, yeah, maybe I should. Uh, yeah, they should they should give they should, you know they should throw some throw some coin at me if I'm heck yeah, get them to sponsor you. <laughs> yeah, um, but thanks again, Dill. This has been great. And uh, to all of you out there, we're gonna uh, leave you with Stanley's signature Excelsior. Yeah, that was. Excelsior! That was much better. He got it. He did it way better.
Excelsior. 